The joy of Christmas from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 18 and other verses in the Bible. Now more than any other time of the year, Christmas is regarded as a festive, happy, merry, jolly season. And we look forward to it, so much so that uh, sometime or various times during the year, it's only 100 days till Christmas, it's only 50 days till Christmas and so on. It sort of builds up the expectation when more than any other time of the year, joy will fill the air. And for the Christian there are good reasons for this because the Christmas story is surrounded by joy. Now in saying this, come Christmas time, some of us feel a little bit sad and and our parents aren't there and and loved ones and Uncle Joe and Auntie Mary and, and so on and so forth that should have been there but they're no longer this side of heaven. But despite all that, if, you, if I was to ask mum and dad, you know, they, they wouldn't want me to be sad. They, they would want me to be happy and joyful. Yes, remember, but don't, don't go spending your life in misery because I'm no longer there. So this morning we look at the story from four different perspectives and draw lessons for our lives from them. So first of all, the most important perspective is the perspective of God, the joy of generous giving from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. A lot of the joy at Christmas time has to do with, with giving, as, as, as certainly a lot of giving goes on this time of year. And sure, there is a lot of commercialization that goes along with it. There's a lot of interest in that area. And, and we, obviously, there's a bit of pressure trying to choose what present for whom and so forth. But overall, we have to agree that when we give with the right intention, it does bring joy to our hearts that somebody has gone out of their way, thought about us, maybe even written a card and given us a message a present, something to say, we're thinking of you, we're praying for you. And you're grateful for that. As generous as we think we are when we give, we cannot outgive God, for He is the greatest giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. How good is that? How good is that? So he comes down to our level to make us rich, so that we go to his level. And and this is a, a beautiful Christmas verse because Paul... He's writing to the Corinthians and he's, he's thanking the, he's exhorting them to give, just like the other churches in Macedonia, and, and says to them, look, you need to, this here is a great example of giving, uh, I'm encouraging you to give as well. And Jesus Christ, through whom the universe was made and who upholds all things by his powerful word, 
who has existed as the glorious, perfect, and joyful second person of the Trinity from all eternity, past, present, and future, he became poor for our sakes. He didn't lose it. He didn't go broke. He became poor for a purpose, for you and me. And from the infinite height, he performed the the unimaginable condescension to be born in a cattle stall and to die on a criminal's cross in order that we might be made rich by this. Not rich in money, even though some pastors like to highlight that. No. Yes, some of you, some are truly blessed by God, and I just hope that they will give as much as they are blessed to support missions and and, and churches and all of that. But that is not the main reason Jesus came to make us rich in money, but rich in joy and generosity and love. And reaching the the ultimate gift of salvation to spend eternity with him. Reaching the fact that we can find fellowship in a church. Reaching the fact that we have a purpose to live. This is the grace of God that started it all. Reaching out to us to turn selfish people into joyful givers. And you think about all the impact of Christianity through thousands of years. What motivated these people to give sacrificially, to go sacrificially into mission fields and hospitals and danger areas to take the gospel? It was the ultimate motivation, Jesus Christ, who became poor so that we might become rich. And the most common notion for selfishness, which is very big today, I must say, the most common basis for selfishness is the notion that giving less or not giving at all, hoarding it and keeping more for ourselves will provide somehow more security, more happiness, more fulfillment in our lives that when we get the bank statement we'll say, whoa, look at all those zeros, I'm feeling joyful and happy now. Oh, look at my super. Isn't that great? I can retire soon so I can do nothing. Wow. Some of you are retired and you've never been so busy in your life. You never never know where you found time to go to work. And we certainly see a lot of people living this way these days but verse 9 shows that part of God's purpose in sending his son was to create joyful loving generous givers now if God values joyful loving generosity so much as to give the ultimate gift for God so loved the world that he gave he wants to instill in us that that same spirit of generosity in his people. And, and, and if that's something that he truly values, then when we give, we are actually find happiness and joy and fulfillment because we are imitating 
our Father in heaven when we give. That's the joy of giving. Because he's a generous giver. Once upon a time there was a pig and a cow living together on a farm. The cow was popular while the pig was not. This puzzled the pig and the pig said, because this pig speaks by the way, puzzle the pig and he said people speak warmly of your gentle nature the pig was talking to the cow people speak warmly of your gentle nature and your sorrowful eyes they think you are generous because each day you give them milk and cream cheese what about me I'm going to give them everything I have I'll give pork, bacon, ham, all the three essential food groups, right? And I'll provide bristles for brushes so you can paint and all that. They'll even pickle my feet. Yet not one likes me. Why is that? And the cow replied, perhaps it is because I give while I'm still living. Now, here's a challenge for us. I hope it doesn't take death. It doesn't take the, the final reading of the will when all your families gather together to find that you have been generous and left you know, your house to this and your books to that and your so-and-so. And so, oh, look at Uncle Joe, how generous he was. Why don't you start giving while you're alive? and imitate your Father in Heaven who also gives and see the smile on their faces when you're in a coffin or six foot under it's pretty hard to see what the reaction is going to be you might be able to I don't know what heaven's going to be like but hopefully that's where you're going as well let's not just give at Christmas but let's practice generosity and giving throughout the year as well The first important part, the joy of giving from God. Now let's look at the shepherd's perspective, the joy of discovery. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. Now it is rare for discoveries to be made merely by chance or by accident. Some of them do, but by and large, usually it's in the process, they make a discovery in the process of looking for something specific, a solution to a problem, something that doesn't quite make sense trying to invent a machine to make life easier. Through trial and error, it is that most discoveries are made. So when you hear the news that a scientist has discovered a new drug to treat a certain cancer, it is because these scientists that have been trained by that have been looking for that very thing, and after test, after test, after test, they come up with a discovery. I think many people today are looking for something but for the most part they don't know what it is they're looking for and, they, and therefore they direct their lives in all these aimless ways in all these different directions because, because they don't know what it is that they, you're looking for what are, you, what are you hoping to get out of this? The 
shepherds of the Christmas story are going about their lives, their normal, everyday lives, taking care of sheep, out in the paddocks, when suddenly heaven breaks into their humble existence with the angels announcing these words, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for you guys and for everybody else. And most of us will be just content to following that angel Then the whole choir appears and, and, and most of us would just be content to sit there for a while listening and admiring the pitch perfect performance of this angelic, majestic Christmas choir singing your favourite carols. But that was not it. And I think this is part of the, the problem that I have with art today. And art in all its forms, whether it's music, whether it's painting, art has many areas obviously, but all art, in the past they were good at this, all art must ultimately point beyond the artist. We tend to, you know, applaud the artist who comes up with... But all art, if you look at all the, the masterpieces, all the, the classical composers, all the solidale glory, I say that to God be the glory, whether it's a painting or a, a musical or a composition, whatever it is, it was always to give God the glory because he is the one that gave us ears to see and eyes and he is the one that gave us notes to be able to detect whether it's in harmony or not, whether something's off. And he's the one that gives us talents with musical instruments and abilities and he's the one that gives us this amazing capability to appreciate something that is beautiful and therefore these shepherds could have just stayed there and enjoyed the performance with the Christmas choir but the Christmas choir, the angel is actually pointing them to do something. And I think many people today, they, they get caught up in the whole Christmas thing and the carols and all of that. And they miss the final purpose, the real purpose of why, of what all of this is pointing to. And just as they were about to ask the address of where this Christmas child was, they, the angels give them directions, or more specifically, gives them a sign. To make a discovery, you need certain clues. You need to follow the breadcrumbs. You need signs that point in a direction. And the Jewish people were always on the lookout for signs. Signs were big for the Jewish community and he had been pretty quiet of late for 400 years there was nothing and what was the sign well the sign did not say coca-cola or eat at joe's or visiting hours the sign was a baby lying in a manger a baby born in a place that it wasn't supposed to be not many babies are born in mangers that's where animals are usually kept. And 
And I have to say that much has been made uh, in, in Christian circles about signs and wonders. Uh, and many people are attracted to them and it draws a crowd. As humans we are desperately seeking for, for heaven to, to break into our meagre existence and, and charge us up with a reason to live, to give us an, an oomph, a, a, bit of a, a bit of energy to keep going. And, and seeing the, the heavenly host singing at night would shake anyone up. And they were terrified. But that wasn't it. He pointed to something else, to someone else. And he pointed to Jesus Christ who had been born. But he goes deeper than that. The prophetic sign was the fact that the king of kings was not born in a palace, was not born in a hospital, was not born in a motel. He was born in a barn. And, the, and this pointed to his very life. That the one who had no place to lay his head would be rejected. And rejection played a big part of his life. And that rejection continues today when many people, despite the fact that Jesus came, despite the, all these signs point to him, rejection is still very popular. I want to accept them. And many today do not experience the joy of the discovery because, like I said, they, do, they don't know what they're looking for. For others, they are searching. And you ask them, they will say, well, I'm on a journey, that type of thing. But they search in all the wrong places and simply ignore all the clues that God has placed Everywhere. Open your eyes. It's there. In, uh, in his book, Surprised by Joy, no pun intended, the use of the title, he, that wasn't actually, he, he actually borrowed, C.S. Law actually borrowed that from another, another poet, uh, Wordsworth. And, and he used that as a story, this book is a whole story of his own conversion. And C.S. Lewis was an atheist, he was a, a genius author, professor and all of that thing, but he wasn't, didn't want to have anything to do with God. But slowly but surely, God, he had to eliminate all, the, all his excuses and surrender to God. And C.S. Lewis says this in his book, he says, A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Bibles laid open, millions of surprises, and says, God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. It's sad when all the signs clearly point to the one and only Jesus Christ. And they still haven't found what they're looking for. Yet the believer knows that joy is not a lucky chance discovery. Joy is a byproduct of long-term obedience. Once you've discovered who Jesus is, continue to walk in that direction. That's what brings joy. And so my prayer is that you will know what you are looking for this Christmas and find the joy in no one else but Jesus Christ. And most of us would tell you that 
he is not that hard to find. Not with all these signs and stuff that he leaves around everywhere. Just open your eyes and open your heart and he's there. Simeon, Simeon, the joy of fulfilled promise. This comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what what custom the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, as I said uh, yesterday, I said a common statement made by parents during the year is, I'll get it, I'll get it to you for, for Christmas. It's a promise, right? Come Christmas time, some of the promises are fulfilled and others are forgotten by the parents, sometimes deliberately. Sometimes uh, the kids will remind you of the fact that you promised that. They tend to do that. But in these in- instances, we, we kids... Just last night I was watching the, the kids open these presents and just rip them up, all the wrapping paper and all these, and, and you see the joy and, oh, another one, and another one. And it keeps going. Within the Christmas story are two elderly folk. They're not kids anymore. But they are Childlike in heart. And I think that's something that we need to remember for all of us who are 60 plus, alright? Their names, Simeon and Anna, they're part of the Christmas story. And even though they were getting on in years, they were not just waiting to die. I think sadly for many this is, this is reality, irrespective of whether you're 35 or 105. But these folk were different in that they were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise from God. And it is in that context of the promise that they are greeted by the infant Jesus, that they, they hold him in his arms and behold him. Perhaps... The strangest thing in the story of Simeon is that this first sentiment, that the, what he says, what he exclaims, is that as he's holding the newborn baby, there is a willingness to take leave of his life. In verse 29 it says, Lord, as you have promised, yesterday we looked at Zechariah's song, Promise, Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He had been waiting for this to happen, and now that it happened, now that he's holding the baby in his hands, he said, Lord, just dismiss me. I've been here. I'd like to go home now, because you fulfilled your promise. I don't want to hang around. I've seen everything lived a long life, I'm thankful 
And I'm truly thankful because you kept your promise for Christmas. He knew what he was waiting for. And when it appeared, when the child appeared, he knew what he was looking at. He knew what God had promised. God had promised him something very special is going to happen. And when it did happen, he was overjoyed. They say that a, a person becomes old only when his memories become more precious than his visions of the future. I wonder when that happened to us. And if you wallow in the past, whether glorious or disastrous, you will fall short of God's promise. What are you living for? What is the reason for you to wake up in the morning? Is there a promise that is yet to be fulfilled? Are you praying for your kids or your grandkids to come to faith? If that happened, will you say to the Lord, thank you for answering my prayer? Some of us have friends, people that parents have been prayed and, and, and this year, you know, I had, had the privilege of baptizing Tim, who, you know, his parents and brother and sister have been praying for him for many years and it was a joy, it's a privilege, it's, it's what God does. And we need to pray that God will continue to answer prayer, to, to, to bring people to himself. I hope that you live a life of joy in the light of God's promises. So that when he does answer your prayers, unlike Zachariah, you will know exactly what he's doing. He's fulfilled what he says he will do. And for everyone, for everyone, this is us, right? The joy of new birth. My last point. Christmas remains such an important part of our lives because it's largely about children. And all of us were children at one stage or another, so, so we love it. There is that childlikeness I think, still within us, even though it's suppressed quite violently sometimes. You are allowed once in a while to let your minds wander back into your childhood. That's okay. A time of innocence and delight when you could entertain yourselves with the simplest of things. A time when joy seemed to come so naturally, so easily. And the original scene in Bethlehem has been displayed millions and, and billions of times around the world, but it's, it's also replayed in maternity wards and, and, and in homes where nine months of expectation of waiting come to reality. A common element in all of this is a very simple one. Birth is meant to bring joy, the joy of new life. This is why people enjoy visiting maternity wards to congratulate parents rather than visiting nursing homes to visit old people. Not too many babies born, as I said yesterday, 
Not too many babies born in nursing homes. It then, and it has been said that the, that the birth of a child is the nearest thing in our experience to the creation of the world at the beginning. I think it's a very clever statement. And, and the child whose birth we celebrate at Christmas is described in the Bible as the firstborn of all of creation. Get your head around that one. He is the one appointed and equipped to, to bring creation, to sustain all of creation until that day, until that time when he brings it all together, wraps it all up. And children have this quality of spontaneous and spontaneous and, and honest joy that is often lost as you get older. It's harder to experience it. Come on, old man, smile just a little bit for the camera. At least pretend that you're happy. Come on, you can do it. And yes, kids can swing from one to the other. One minute they're laughing and the other minute they're crying and screaming. But that's what they, they let it all out. They're not hiding anything. They're emotional balls. There is no pretense. They're honest, truthful. And it was uh, G.K. Chesterton who once said, I think God is the only child left in the universe. And all, of, all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. When you bounce a child on your knee or toss him in the air, he says, do it again. And he'll, stay, and he'll say a hundred times and keep saying it, do it again, do it again. And that's how God created the daisies. He created one and in his childlike heart he said, do it again, do it again. And 50 billion trillion daisies later he's still saying, do it again. And I think most of us don't live life as we should. We let it slip away, but children really know how, how to live. This is why we look at kids and say, wow, that sense of innocence, intensity, joy in all its forms. Jesus saw the children as something so precious and important that he said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a big statement. Our God wants us to be freed from the, from the burdens, the anxieties, the worries that keep us from living the abundant, joyful life that Christ came to bring us, to give us. Society hasn't beaten down our children. That's why they're still happy and joyful. They still have their hopes and dreams. Is it any wonder that the Bible describes those who give their life to Christ as being born again? Born again. And every time we see somebody come into Christ, that joy has to fill your heart as they born again. A new life. 
for eternity for Jesus. And one last uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. It's a very good statement, isn't it? God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is simply not there. So the only way to fully enjoy not just Christmas but life itself is through the gift of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. May you have a blessed Christmas. Amen.